Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church Lagos. We hope this sermon answers the doubts or questions that you have about the gospel, its relevance to your life, and the ever-evolving culture around us. Our vision is to see the city of Lagos and beyond renewed by the gospel, and to make that happen, we need your support. You can do this by rating this podcast, following us, and giving through the Give tab on our website, citychurchlagos.com. Thank you for your generosity. We pray this sermon impacts you positively with the gospel. Good morning, church. Our Bible reading today will be taken from Mark chapter 6, from verse 14 to 29. At the end of the reading, I will say, this is the word of the Lord. Please respond by saying, thanks be to God. Mark chapter 6, verse 14. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are working him. Others said, he is Elijah, and still others claimed he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to, because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want, and I will give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give you, up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once, the the girl hurried into the king with a request. I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on the platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. This is the word of the Lord. I am so sorry. I am so sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, good morning, everybody. Good morning. <laughs> um, I wasn't expecting you guys to, to respond so well. Anyways, uh, <laughs> just considering our history. <laughs> Once again, good morning. Um, um, something happened last week that I just feel, again, it, is, it would be a crime if I don't comment about it. Um, 
Last Sunday was not a good Sunday for us. No, I mean, not the sermon. The sermon was good. <laughs> but I've come finals, yeah? And uh, we lost. And, um, and um, yeah, that, that wasn't so great. I, I just want to say that, again, we'll meet them next time, correct? And, um, however, no matter how sad you are, those that lost, those that came last don't have two heads, right? You know, that could have been you. That could have been us, isn't it? All right. Uh, it's not working. It's not working. <laughs> but isn't it funny how we tend to use that particular thing for good things, like successful things? Uh, those that make it in life don't have two heads. In fact, there's a song about it. Dangote Olori Meji, right? You remember? It means Dangote doesn't have two heads. And it seems like we tend to feel like we deserve good things all the time, but never feel like we deserve bad things. So if bad things happen, we say, God, why? If good things happen, we say, thank you, Jesus. Almost like, yeah, of course, I, I'm supposed to have this. But really, those that actually fail, or when life, for those that life doesn't go so well for them, they don't have two heads. That can be you. That can be me. Um, and that's kind of what we're going to be discussing in the text a little bit. When bad stuff happens, those that it happens to, they don't have two heads. Um, for those that are watching with us for the first time, my name is Tomi Larewaju. I am one of the guys on the preaching team. And uh, really, it is my privilege to be bringing the word of God to you this morning. I mean, again. Last week, um, when this series we've titled Understanding the Son of God, we're walking through the book of Mark. Uh, we started last year. We took a break. Now we're going to continue. We've continued. This is like the seventh sermon in, in this series, Understanding the Son of God. And when this block of passage, this block of passage, um, Mark chapter 6 from verse 7, to verse 29. It's really one block, right? And what we did last week was we took a part of that block and we began to see what Jesus wants us to listen, what Jesus wants us to pay attention to in those verses. And one thing we, dis one thing we discovered was that Jesus wanted us to embrace discomfort. Jesus wanted us to not just live a life on vacation, but to live a life on mission. But one thing you will then begin to see as we continue to talk today is that Jesus is going to ask for more than your discomfort. Jesus is not content for you to just be slightly inconvenienced at certain periods of your life. Jesus is going to ask for more. And here's why I think this sermon, and really this sermon series is actually very important for us in case, in case you've not been paying attention to it very well. Um, the Bible says we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. Now, that doesn't hit us so much until you begin to discover that research shows that your community plays a big influence in what you've actually come to believe. If you find out that somebody doesn't believe a particular truth because you told them, put them among people that believe the same thing very, very soon. They'll begin to adjust to it. And that becomes a very serious problem because we are in the world and the community that is around us tends to think in certain ways. So the problem is that over time we can begin to adopt their worldview. Unknowingly, for example, I remember the first time I saw um, um, gay expression on TV. I was like, okay, uh, you know, a little bit, this is weird for me. Now, if I see it, it's like, okay. Why? I've gotten used to it because of what is going on around me. And many of you can relate to that. So you are in, this, in the world, but you've kind of adopted the way the world views things. 
And what I'm hoping that the Lord will do with this series is that God will begin to change our worldview, change what we expect from the world, change what we long for, change what we desire because a lot is at stake. The Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 18 to 19, talking to prophets now, when I say to a wicked person, you will surely die, and you do not warn them or speak out to dissuade them from their evil ways in order to save their lives, that wicked person will die for their sin, and I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do want the wicked person and you do not turn from their wickedness, they will die for their sins, but you have saved yourself. If you, as a prophet of God, is you, if you, as a believer, have been sent to actually warn people about the impending judgment, the impending doom, and you do not go, the Bible says that I will require the blood from you. Now, I understand that, oh yeah, we are saved and stuff like that, but I don't know what really, what the intricacies of what happens on judgment seat of Christ. All I know is that this is a big problem. If we have adopted the worldview of the world and therefore we are not able to confront anything, we see no need for them to change and therefore we are not going out. A lot is at stake. God is going to require the blood of the world from us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12 to 15, I'm just going to read that as well. Okay, I'm not going to read it because, because of time. The Bible says something about how when we get to heaven, some people would have walked and they would have built on a foundation and there will be, there will be buildings of ashes, of, of, of hay, buildings of wood, buildings of gold. And then it says that even though if you build with gold, that when your work is tested to be proven to be true, but if you, if you build with, um, with hay, with wood, what's going to happen is that your work will be burnt, even though you will be saved. But you'll be saved as one that has escaped the fire. Again, I don't know what that means, but I definitely don't want to find out. Yes, you will make heaven, but there is something about the judge, what's going to happen on judgment day that is more than just, oh, I'm going to make heaven. Your work will be tested. And if you have adopted the worldview of the world, it is impossible for you to do your work well. That is why this series is extremely important for you. The popular movie, The Matrix. Have you seen it? Anybody? The Matrix. Yeah, the metrics. Now, if, in case you've not seen the metrics, yeah, Keanu Reeves, right? Um, quick summary. What happens is that everybody is living in the natural world, and, but they don't know that they are being controlled by machines in the background, right? It's not really a real world. And so there's this guy, Keanu Reeves, and um, somebody calls him out, somebody that is outside of that world that is aware that they are being controlled by machines, calls him out and says, you know what? You, this world is being controlled by machines, but here are two pills. The red pill, do you remember? And the blue pill. If you take the blue pill, he says something really profound, Morpheus. He said, if you take this blue pill, tomorrow morning you wake up on your bed and it will look as if nothing has ever happened. If you take the red pill, however, your life will be changed forever. The word of God is the red pill we need for our eyes to be opened before change can begin to happen. But what do we do with the word of God? What do we do with the red pill? You know, we have different translations of the red pill. We fantasize about the red pill. We talk about how deep the red pill is, but we do all those things but never taking it. That is what happens when you become a, a hearer alone but not a doer of the word. And that's what you need to understand, that souls are tied to your obedience. Souls are tied to your working out what God wants you to do on the earth. The renewal of Lagos is tied to your obedience. For the sake of this city, God is going to ask for more than just your discomfort and slight inconvenience. Jesus is coming today as your Oliver Twist and he's saying, 
I want some more. I don't just want those slight inconveniences. Remember the inconveniences we discussed last week? Oh, remove your AirPods in Uber and talk to the Uber driver about Jesus. Yeah, you're a little bit inconvenienced. God is saying, I want more. Oh, don't just eat your lunch and walk alone anymore. Go and eat with other people. God is saying, I want more. Oh, don't reduce, don't just reduce your intake of Netflix or social media. By the way, that's good for you. Either way, it's for your career, right? But Jesus is saying, I want more than just those slight inconveniences, those slight discomforts. And that is what you begin to find in the text before us. And that's why we titled this sermon, Beyond Discomfort. Beyond Discomfort, of what we discussed last week. Um, let us pray together for God to help us. Lord, I do not stand over your people as somebody that has taken the red pill all the time. <laughs> Most of the time I haven't. And I know that's the testimony of many people here. We love to talk about the red pill, how great it is. We fantasize, we have different translations, we have commentaries about the red pill. We tweet about the red pill. We update our status concerning the red pill, but we don't take it. Lord, let that change today. Help us not to be hearers alone, but doers of your word. Help us not to be fools who look to the perfect law of liberty and still yet unchanged. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, I need to get something off my chest first, which is this, that... If I was going to take any, part, any text to preach from in the Bible, it's definitely not this one. The one on the beheading of John the Baptist. No. First and foremost, there's little, there's little to say there, one. But secondly, it's the beheading of John the Baptist. You know, you know as preachers, don't talk about things that get us, you know, that people get people riled up and stuff. So again, I'm not, this is a difficult sermon for me personally, just in terms of the work done, but in terms of also the message that is there. This will help us as we, as we begin to uh, have a short, very short conversation about this. Um, for those that are not familiar with these terms, there's something we call expository preaching and topical sermons. Expository preaching and topical sermons. Topical sermons are sermons that are based around the topic. So, for example, I can, we can decide to do a series on faith, a series on how to hear from God, a series on um, Holy Spirit, and stuff like that. Expository sermons, however, are the ones where you take a book of the Bible and you begin to go step by step through it. You can either go verse by verse or you go through blocks of passages like we are doing in the book of Mark. Now, the advantages of topical sermons is that they can be pastoral or prophetic. That is, you're able to speak to things that are happening at the time. So, for example, it's, it's time for election and we decide to do a series on church and government, that kind of a thing, right? However, the disadvantage is this, that you tend to simply say the things that you are comfortable talking about. It is very possible, it's like the algorithm that happens with YouTube or Instagram, where it reinforces what you talk about more and more. And you find many, many churches that actually just do topical sermons alone. They are all constantly talking about the same thing. Why? Right? Those are the things they are comfortable with. Expository sermons, on the other hand, you tend to face stuff you're not comfortable with. For example, if you're going through the book of Mark, as we are doing now, and you get to chapter 6, for example, verse 7, and you see stuff about discomfort, if you skip it, everybody will know you're dishonest. Right? So you have to face it. And then the next week, you get to the beheading of John the Baptist. You still can't skip it. You have to talk about it. 
And that's why we are doing this. Again, just so you to understand that we're not doing this because, because I'm, I'm not doing this because I, I really think it's going to be slightly heavy as well. I'm not doing this because we just like to bash people. It's there in the word of God for us to pay attention to. Now, the block of passages that we have is really from verse 7, Mark chapter 6 from verse 7 all the way to verse 30. Verse 7 talks about Jesus calling the 12 disciples and verse 30 talks about their return. Verse 7 talks about the disciples, sent Jesus calling them and sending them. Verse 30, is not in our reading, talks about the return. So what you have is really more like the beginning and the end. And everything that happens in between is about the sending of the disciples and the fact that the disciples are back. Now, question. In all of this story, we then begin to read about John the Baptist. Again, based on the block, based on the way you are reading the text, it's not about John the Baptist. It's really about the work of the disciples. In fact, verse 7 all the way to verse 12 is about the preparation of the disciples for mission. Verse 12 to 14 is about what happens when they, when they actually went on mission. Things began to happen. Verse 14 starts talking about what the way people felt about Jesus when they fulfilled their mission. And then you go to this part and you start talking about John the Baptist and you give a whole verse, I mean series of verses on John the Baptist. The question is this. What is the story of John the Baptist doing in this passage that is really not about John the Baptist? Because again, like I said, it's a block of passage about the sending of the disciples, not about John the Baptist. Here is how you need to begin to view the Bible. Don't view the Bible as a blog post. Not a blog post. With a blog post, you can just download everything you want to say on it. No. It's more like a telegram, not the app. Telegram, telegram. Right? Come home now. Daddy sick. That kind of a thing. There's limited space. And so everything that makes it into that limited space is extremely important, especially the path, the place in which the place in which they are placed in the Bible. So again, it's very important for us to ask ourselves, what is the story of John the Baptist doing in a block of passage that is about the disciples? Now, we discussed it um, last week. If you're not familiar with this, there's something we call the four Gospels in the Bible, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptic Gospels. Why? Because they tend to most of the time, talk about the same story in different ways. So it's like three friends who experience something and they are telling the story. And we say, for example, oh, when Bayok got to Ibadan, he dropped from the bus and took a bike to Iwo Road, that kind of a thing. And then Shola says, oh, no, before he took the bike to Iwo Road, he actually collected the girl's number. So what are they doing? They are filling in the gap on behalf of one another. So if you want to understand what is happening in Mark chapter 6, you need to ask yourself, what did Matthew or Luke say about it? Are we together? What did Matthew or Luke say about it? And the parallel passage is really Matthew chapter 10. And we find it Matthew chapter 10. So let's just observe it together now. I would have loved for us to read the old passage, but because of time, no. So we have a table. We have a table. Mark 6, Matthew 10. I just want to prove a couple of things, then we're going to read further. In Mark chapter 6, verse 7, just to prove that, he's actually talking about the same story. He just says, the Bible says, calling the 12 to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. In chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal. Now, that is missing in Mark chapter 6. But if you remember in Mark chapter 6, the disciples casted out demons and healed as well. Why? Because Jesus instructed them to do so. You go to the next one, verse 8 to verse 9. There were these, these were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belt. We remember the text. Verse 9 to 10. Do not get any gold or silver or copper. What is Matthew doing? Matthew kind of expands. It's not just money. It's, I will explain. Not gold, not copper, not any of these things, right? 
No bag for the journey or extra shirts or sandals or a staff for the journey is, for the worker is worth his keep. Verse 10, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. The same thing happens in verse 11. Verse 11, verse 11 of Mark chapter 6 again. And if the people reject you, dust your feet. You find the same thing in Matthew chapter 10. So all these things begin to happen. But the problem is in Matthew chapter 10, the writer of the, writer of the book of Matthew, that's Matthew, didn't stop there. In Mark chapter 6, he stopped there and just went up to say, oh, then the disciples started preaching, they started casting out demons, and things were going on fine. But in Matthew chapter, in Matthew chapter 10, he goes further and starts to say, for example, Matthew chapter 10, verse 16 to 18. He says, I am sending you out. This is still concerning when they were being prepared for the mission. Jesus said more than just be uncomfortable. He said, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to local councils and be flogged in the synagogue. And you go, okay. Now, if you read Mark chapter 6, you would have thought that the only thing they were meant to do was to be slightly inconvenienced, then walk in victory. No, 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 but Matthew is saying, no, it's more than that. You will be handed over to local council and be flogged in the synagogue on my account. You will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. Verse 20, 21 to 22 as well. Brother will betray brother to death. So you will not just be persecuted. You will not just be flogged. You will be killed. That is the continuation of the text in Matthew chapter 10. But you don't find that in Mark chapter 6. Instead, what you find is the story of a person that was persecuted and was eventually killed. So what's happening there? Matthew chapter 10 is telling you exactly what Jesus instructed them to do. Mark chapter 6 is illustrating that with the life of a particular person. That's why John the Baptist is there. To show you that beyond the discomfort, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus is that you will be persecuted and possibly you will be killed. It can cost us our lives. And based on the text that is before us, beyond discomfort, Jesus demands your identity. There are two things you find. Beyond discomfort, Jesus demands your identity. Beyond discomfort, Jesus demands your life. Again, beyond the slight discomfort that you feel, Jesus demands your identity. Secondly, beyond the slight discomfort, Jesus demands your life. Let's go to Jesus demanding your identity. So we'll read in verse 14. Mark chapter 6, verse 14. Can, can you project it for me? Mark 6, 14. Yeah. King Herod heard about this. For Jesus' name had become well known. Pause. King Herod heard about what? The activities of the disciples. Right? That was what was happening in the text before. So King Herod heard about this. For Jesus' name had become well known. And if you don't just read over the text. Always, like, this doesn't make so much sense. If he said, King Herod heard about this, and Jesus was glorified, and God was glorified, that makes sense. It was the disciples that were acting. It was Jesus that was getting more famous. Whereas Jesus was not with them. So it seems as if the more the disciples were acting, Jesus was increasing, and they were what? Decreasing. Who does that remind you of? John the Baptist. That the disciples are like John the Baptist, that based on their activities, Jesus was increasing and they were decreasing. There is therefore a serious problem when ministry, when Jesus becomes a means for the fame of the ministry. And not that the ministry is a means for the fame of Jesus. 
And we see that happening many times in our world today. When you observe certain ministries, you ask yourself, is this about Jesus or about you? The way the thing is set up, I have, a pet, I have something that really, really is cringy for me. When the whole ministry is really about one man, for example, I know many of you see this on Instagram well, for example, you are about to preach a sermon, oh man of God, in the next one hour. What, what's our business with the fact that you're coming out of your car with a certain kind of shoe in slow motion and we're recording you everywhere? I thought it's about Jesus. You're a man of the cloth. I thought it's about making Jesus famous, but now you are the content creator. You are the content. Jesus no longer is the content. There's a problem when your ministry is only the end for, and Jesus is the means to that end. Now, I like how you said, come on. Why? I know it's good, it's good. I like how you said it. Because it's very, very easy to point to other people. Eh? Now, let's focus on ourselves a little bit. No, 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 listen, listen, listen. Listen. For us to be able to see clearly the speck in another man's eye, remove the log in your own first. Are we together? So going back to the text, and now it relates to you, it's not just pastors. You. What are you known for? Pause. Identity is not just who you are. Your identity is what you are known for. The disciples of Jesus, based on the actions that, based on the things that they were doing, people knew them as people of Jesus. Not as disciples, necessarily, not as miracle workers. They knew Jesus more because of the way they were living their lives. So if I was to ask you that question again, what is your life known for? Are you known more as a career woman than as a disciple of Jesus? Are you known more as a rich man, as a good man, than you are known that you are a disciple of Jesus? Let's read it on a little bit more. Are you known more by your feminist views than you are about the fact that you are a disciple of Jesus? Okay. No, 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 no. Let's, let's take it home. Are you known by your anti-feminist views? Than you are known about the fact that you're a disciple of Jesus. If I was to ask your colleague, what would they say about you? Would they say, no, no, he's, an, he's a very hardworking person. He's a competent person. They've worked with you for one year. They don't even know what you believe. There is a problem when you are not acting as a disciple of Jesus. When Jesus is simply a means to prop up your own life. Your life is meant to prop up his own life. In the past two weeks, is it possible that you've met somebody and they know everything about you except the fact that you're a Christian? What is your most valuable identity? I'm a career person. I'm wise. People have to know that when they meet me. Or is it that you're a disciple of Jesus? You are not different from the pastor that comes down from the car and they are videoing him. Before you judge him, judge yourself. And if I was to ask you, 
Why don't they know this about your identity? Why is it that people don't know this about it? Are you embarrassed? Are you shy? Are you scared? Or Jesus is not just something you want to talk about. This is a secular space. It's career. We can't bring Jesus into it. Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 to 33. This is in the Bible, by the way. I'm not making this up. I promise you. Whoever acknowledges me before others, not before the church, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown them before my Father in heaven. Again, I don't know how the judgment seat of God is going to work, but I don't want to find out. I don't want to find this out. I know you are saved. I believe in the sovereignty of God. You've been predestined to come to Jesus. That's well. That's good. But this has implications. There are repercussions for the way you are living your life. Is it possible that the reason why you don't want people to know you with Jesus is because it's just not cool? It's not fashionable. We are not in the right context. You see, one of the most famous examples that you might probably give is this. Well, I'm not going to start telling somebody about Jesus when I'm at work. If I'm having a business meeting, I can't... It, what, what, what has my identity got to do with it as a Christian? These are secular matters. This thing you're talking about is a spiritual matter. Great. What if Jesus applied the same energy to your life? If he then decides that it's only the secular matters that we attend to, I mean, only the spiritual matter we attend to, here is the secular matter. Do it yourself. When you needed that job, you prayed to God and said, God, help me. Now you have the job. You are hardworking, you are smart, you are good, you are competent. I know how to manage people. God is involved when there's a, when there's a problem with your business. But when, it's come to use, when it comes to using that business to glorify him and as an opportunity to tell other people about Jesus, fam, we are ingrates. He gave you the job, and all he said is, talk about me. It's the least you could do. What are you known for? What defines your life? What defines you? What do the people around you think you are? Who does your neighbor think you are? It's just a cool neighbor, very, very cool. Ha. There's a problem when the very same definitions that we give for people of the world are the same things that we give to you. God has invested too much in your life for your life to end up being similar to that of the non-Christian. Many of you ask yourself, at your place of work, the way you are living your life right now is the same way you would have lived if you didn't have Jesus. You are just a person of integrity. It's no big deal. Changing the world is not for the mature. It's for the godly people. Anybody can be nice. What are you known for? Beyond your discomfort. I said it was going to be very, very short. Jesus demands your life. Beyond your discomfort. Jesus demands your life. So in the very same way that in Matthew chapter 10, you see that Jesus told them that some of them are going to die, and he illustrates that with Mark chapter 6, and that John the Baptist died. 
Here's the funny thing. They didn't die on that mission, right? They went and they came back. So before you begin to think, no, here's, here's, here's the thing. There's a high chance that God has not called you to die. You're in Lagos. Nothing will happen to you. High chance. You will not be killed for the sake of the gospel here. But that doesn't mean this command doesn't apply to you all the same. Because it applied to those disciples even when they weren't going to die at that time. So it is still something that we are supposed to pay attention to. Jesus expected them to live their lives as if death didn't matter. That's a discipleship issue, not a pastoral issue. That's a discipleship requirement, not a pastoral requirement. It's not just Pastor Femi. I'm supposed to feel like, oh no, if, if death comes, right, Pastor Femi? If death comes, right? Pastor Femi, right? If death comes, I'll chest it. That's not just a Pastor Femi thing. That's a you thing. That's a me thing. We should be ready to give our lives for what we believe. There is a way people in the Bible lead their lives. Paul said, to live is Christ and to die is what? To die is better. Think about it. Are you insane? It's death we are talking about, though. To die is better. Why? To be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. That is better for Paul. How are you viewing death? Ooh, death, you're scared. Paul was like, oh, no, no, I'm going to be with my Lord and Savior. I will embrace it. Again, I don't say go and jump in front of, you know, don't do something stupid. But how are you viewing death? Ah. When John the Baptist, there was a particular part of the scripture, again, we're not going to because of time. When John the Baptist was arrested, and in that same passage, somewhere around there, he said he was about to die. They, they, they killed him. Do you know what Jesus said about him? He said, of all the men born in the world, there is none greater than John the Baptist. Did he know John the Baptist was going to die? Yes. He said, there is none greater than John the Baptist. Is this how you view John the Baptist? Do you look at that life and say, this life is greater than David, Solomon, Daniel? Is that how you see it? A life of death. Let me drill this home a little bit. If you can project the picture. There's this popular man, Dangote. We love him. Great man. Of all the men born, there is none greater than John the Baptist. Do you want to be like that great man or... There's a popular song. Dangote, I said it before, Dangote doesn't have two heads. How do project the second person? Do you pray to God and say, God, John the Baptist doesn't have two heads. I want to be like him. He's the great, he said he's the greatest. He's great. Is this a life you aspire for or do you want the other man? Him. I'm not this anymore. He's a great man. But he said of all, none 
Isn't that a mediocre way to live? When there is greatness and you are shooting for good. Life and death has an unhealthy grip on us. We sing in church. Hallelujah, praise the one that has set me free. What's the next line? Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me. Is that true? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 to 15. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their mind to show that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their what? Fear of death. Death has lost its grip on me. You are lying though. You are lying. It still holds you. That is the reason why you cannot aspire to be like John the Baptist. No, death. But the Bible says he's a great man. In fact, there's this popular video that was going on by a pastor where he said John the Baptist essentially died because what? He lacked power. That's not a victorious life. Of all the men, none greater. I know what the ending of that verse says. But you actually said that concerning every other person that came before him. David, Daniel, Jeremiah, none as great as John. This is the person we should aspire. Why is that you aspire to be like David? Why? I need to slay my giants. What happens when the giants, when God wants the giants to slay you? Is that a life that you will say, ah, this person doesn't have two heads. I want to live for Jesus like this. I'm going to say this with, it's going to be a bit cringy but for me, but I mean it. John didn't have two heads. He had one. And that one that he had, he lost it. Jesus, the Bible is saying, a headless man in the kingdom of God is greater than a worldly head with a crown. A headless man in the kingdom of God is greater than a worldly head with a crown. A man that has lost his head for the kingdom is greater than the one that retains his head so the world can place a crown on it. People have invested into this mission. The mission to change the world. People have invested. John lost his life. Not just John. Jesus lost his life. In fact, the death of John was, fo was foreshadowing the death of Jesus in that passage. You see, with the death of John, the circumstances surrounding that was that there was a reluctant leader that wanted to please certain people. And then there was somebody that was manipulating in the background. The reluctant leader was Herod. The manipulator was Herodias. Isn't that what happened with Jesus? The reluctant leader was who? Pilate. He wanted to please the people. And the manipulator was who? The Pharisees. John lost his life. Jesus, Mark is showing here that Jesus 
also, in the same way, Jesus is going to lose his life for the sake of the mission. Too much has been invested into this mission. Many have lost their lives. Not an investment of money. No. An investment of blood. The blood of Jesus. The blood of God. Too much has been invested into this venture. City Church, make it count. They've deposited a lot. People have lost their lives. Make it count. Other men like Peter were crucified upside down. Make it count. Make that investment count. Paul lost his head. Make it count. Oh, you, you will cringe a little bit at this. Some of them were fed to hungry lions. There is an investment of blood into this venture. This is not a game. This is war. Make it count. Some of them were dragged with horses on the floor into pieces for the sake of the mission. Make it count for something. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 35 b to 38. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain at even, an even better resurrection. This is Hebrews that I'm talking about, the hall of faith. You remember, it's like the hall of faith, the chapter of faith. Oh, they shot the mouth of lions. They casted out demons. They healed the sick. This is also there. By faith, some faced jails and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. I've thought about this. It has always baffled me. Death by stoning. Like they will keep, it's not pebbles they are throwing at you. And they will keep on hitting you till you die. There is an investment of blood. You can't waste this. You have to make it count. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitutes, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. We didn't deserve Jesus. With the kind of life that John the Baptist, we didn't deserve him. The Bible says the world didn't deserve Peter. Destitute men of whom the world was not worthy. See, I have given you all this, all these examples. But let's come home. It's happening around you. Death, investments of death, persecution. It's around us. But many times, you have been blinded by comfort, as long as it's not touching you. Of the 5,500 Christians who were killed last year because of their faith, 90% were Nigerians. Over the past 14 years, 52,250 people have been killed in Nigeria for their Christian faith. An investment of blood. It is estimated that 89% of Christians killed throughout the world are located here. In your backyard. Attacks in 26 villages in Plateau State last December. 
200 Christians died. These are men that the world was not worthy of. I'm going to go on. I have a lot. In January 2013, Catholic priest Father Isaac actually was shot and burned to death by terrorists. In May 2022, this one you remember, Deborah Yakubu was lynched and burned to death in Sokoto for alleged blasphemy. Men of whom the world was not worthy. We didn't deserve this woman. This is greatness. This is what the Bible calls great. Not him. Not the people that you've turned to your idols. This is greatness. In June 2022, over 60 worshippers were killed on Pentecost Sunday in a Catholic church in Owa. That same month, Rhoda Jatau was taken into police custody for blasphemy. After sharing a WhatsApp video condemning Deborah's killing, she spent over 18 months in detention. After repeatedly surviving attacks on his attempts, surviving attempts on his life, Reverend Lawan Andimi, the then chairman of the Khan, Adamao State Chapter, was executed after refusing to renounce his faith in Christ. An investment of blood. These people have invested their lives. They didn't, they didn't put their money where their mouth was. They shed their blood. Last person, in 2018, Nia Sharibu was kidnapped from a secondary school after refusing to convert to Islam. None of that will come near you. They have invested blood. The least you can do when God has not demanded that from you is to make it count. It's the least you could do. To be on mission for Jesus is the least. They didn't ask for your life. They only said, be uncomfortable a bit. They only said, make your identity that of the one that belongs to Jesus. That's all they asked you to do. But what are we chasing? People are dying. What are we chasing? I bring these people before you today. That the world tells you that Dangote is the greatest. These people are great. But we forget about them. You chase your own, just chase your own dreams. What's the difference? I, I say this every time myself. What is the difference between us and the world? What are we doing? What are we doing? Make it count. Make this investment count. Pledge your allegiance to Jesus. Stop playing around. Stop playing around. Not just Jesus lost his life. Other people have lost their lives. Stop playing around. Can we rise to our feet? Thanks for listening. If you found this sermon helpful, we hope you join us in the mission of renewing Lagos with the gospel by sharing it, rating this podcast and following us. These actions help us reach more people with the gospel. You can also connect with us on various social media platforms via the handle at City